This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Hey guys, I'm Shane Bacon, and I want to tell you about a new podcast called Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. One guy that has probably hit a 350-yard drive, considers himself an athlete mostly because of his unreal papa shot abilities, and has in fact started to show off signs of a tricep forming, is our own Max Homa, PGA Tour winner and fan favorite online. Max and myself turn out new episodes every week to give the fan a unique look at golf and all that comes with it from someone that spends his work weeks on tracks we all dream to play, grinding and out with the best in the world. Listen and follow Get a Grip with Max Soma and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts right now. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined today, as always, by none other than Josh Clark. Hey, Candace, How are you? I'm doing fabulous. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm doing good. I've, I feel very connected to India right now. I've been perusing the Times of India lately. You ever read that... Uh News agency's website. I stick to the Times of New York. Thank you. This is it's pretty good stuff. It's like a whole different worldview, you know. But um, apparently, what I found out is that there's been a rash of um, daring and kind of ham-fisted train robberies over there lately. Have you heard anything about this? No, you're gonna have to fill me in. Okay, so uh, the the most recent one was on the Parisnath Express. And basically this gang of miscreants, uh, that's the Times of India's word for them, uh, and they're in their like uh, mid-twenties, and they come aboard these passenger compartments of these trains brandishing guns and lathies, which are like these cane poles used for beating um, in the Indian martial art of lathi. Right? Does it look like a, a sheep hook? A kind of, except without the hook. Imagine just the cane part, the pole. Ah, yeah. Okay. And you would not want to be beaten about the head or neck with one of these things. So, which is why the people have been handing over their cash and jewelry to these thugs. Um, and so far on the, on the Parisnath Express, they made off with about a hundred thousand rupees worth of stuff. Wow. Which is actually like forty thousand uh, dollars in America, which is a pretty significant haul. And this isn't the only time that it's happened. This is the third one since May. Um, and they're similar MOs. They think it's the same people. But uh, actually, one person died from it. They weren't beat with a lathe. They were actually drugged. Uh, and once they started to go unconscious, um, they, they were relieved of their valuables. The problem is, is that the kid who was drugged ended up dying. So if these, this gang of miscreants gets found, they're uh, going to be in a lot of trouble. It sounds like it. It actually sounds pretty reminiscent of one of my favorite crime stories of all time, the Great Train Robbery. Oh, yes. That's one of my favorite, too. That's a, that was a good heist, wasn't it? It was. It was. That's a 
pretty memorable cast of characters there and the very famous mustachioed Scotland Yard detective, Jack Slipper. Jack Slipper, Who could forget him? Ever, yeah. I know. Now, the guys in The Great Train Robber used a tremendous uh, amount of finesse, especially compared to these Indian miscreants. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. And, you know, an antiques dealer and a hairdresser, mm-hmm. essentially they got their two gangs together, the Southwest Gang and the Southeast Gang, and they, they ended up making off with about... Oh, gosh. It was like 2.6 million pounds sterling. Yeah. Which today actually translates into like $50 million. Yeah, $50 million U.S. dollars. Which made it a, a, the most significant train heist uh, since 1855, when a train en route from uh, Paris to London was, was uh, relieved of its gold bullion. Well... It took a lot of work, like you said, to pull this off, and yeah. it was worth it in the end. And originally, they thought that they could do it with just a handful of men. No and way. No way. It took a whole lot more, 15 total. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of accomplices, too, a, a man whose alias was Peter, who was supposed <laughs> to be the train driver. And then there was a Mr. One, Mr. Two, and a Mr. Three. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to bore you guys with all the names, because we would be here there all day. a bunch but, of names. Yeah, 15. But the big mastermind, we think, was a man named... Bruce Reynolds. Bruce Reynolds. Who was an antique dealer. I mean, these are like the most interesting gang of bandits I've ever heard of. Like you said, a hairdresser. One of them was a uh, club owner who used to be a boxer. Mm-hmm. So these are, these are your top-of-the-line interesting bandits, basically, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And so the idea was that they were going to take this train called the Up Special, which was essentially a mail carrier for the mm-hmm. most part. It was en route to London. From Glasgow. Yes. It had been a bank holiday weekend in mm-hmm. Scotland, and they were going to pretty much empty the car of all of its contents, which totaled 120 sacks of cash. Which is like a ton and a half of Money. Yeah. That's a lot. It really is. And their plan was pretty ingenious. They decided that they would stop the train, mm-hmm. unlatch the car and the engine, and mm-hmm. then drive it off. I like the way that they stopped the train. One of the guys, yeah. um, you know, trains follow traffic signals like cars do. Uh, so they went to uh, one of the signals, uh, Sears Crossing, I think is what it is. Um, and they actually used, like, black cloth or something to cover up the green signal. Right. Roger Cordray decided that this would be the best way to work this. It works almost like a stoplight, a regular stoplight. Stoplight mm-hmm. at, at a traffic intersection with a red, green, and yellow light. So, like you said, he covered up the green with black paper, and then he waited off in the distance. And when the train came exactly at the place where they wanted it to stop, mm-hmm. he used a battery and a couple of wires to rig it up and flashed a red light. Which is just beyond cool. So the train stops, and uh, they, these guys board, and they're pretty much intent on taking the money so they actually hit the driver over the head poor jack mills yeah he uh i saw a picture of him in this in the article on how the great train robbery worked and his head is all bandaged he looks a little confused yeah it's it's almost kind of comical the way it's just wrapped around his head and even though it was a pretty significant injury yeah he he couldn't work again after that yeah but his was the only injury in the whole robbery yeah it's true and the the funny thing was is peter uh, the the accomplice that you mentioned earlier you're supposed to drive the train. Uh, apparently, they found out during the heist that he had no idea how to drive the train. <laughs> so they actually tossed him off of the train, and they they get the uh, the original driver, the guy who's supposed to be driving the train, uh, back into the, uh, the 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 I guess the engine to to drive it, mm-hmm. head injury and all. 
And what, he drove it about a, a kilometer and a half? Yeah, one and a half miles to Bredego Bridge. That was their unloading spot. And it was pretty close to this old farmhouse called Leather Slade Farm. Mm-hmm. And this is where the men had been hiding out, Laying essentially. Low. Right, waiting for August 8th, 1963. And they had been having a pretty good time at their safe house. They had, you know... Uh, some food and some drinks and sleeping bags, and they pass the time playing Monopoly. Mm-hmm. And here's where the story gets kind of interesting and sort of goes down into a urban legend. So, so basically, they they unload the money from the train and they go back to what was it called, Leather Slade Farm? Leather Slade Farm. Is, the British have the coolest names for their farms, but um, <laughs> so they go back to Leather Slade and uh, they divvy up the money. And actually apparently hung around for a while because they were playing Monopoly with some of the stolen money, which, you know, I mean, it it makes a Monopoly game that much more interesting when you're playing for actual cash. Uh, And then they, they all go their separate ways, right? They do. They each take their share. They go their separate ways. And within a day... Scotland Yard is all over this. Oh, yeah. And they even appoint a special team called the Flying Squad to mm-hmm. investigate. It was headed up by Tommy Butler, who had a reputation as being the sort of this rough and tumble, tough talking guy. Yeah. And one of his famous investigators that we've mentioned earlier was Jack Slipper. Yeah. And Jack Slipper became a household name over time because uh, although they caught everybody, right, eventually all 15 guys were caught. Is that correct? Not all at once, but weren't they all eventually caught? Not all of them. Oh, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which one wasn't? Uh, I can't tell you his exact <laughs> name. Again, there's so many names, but 12 of 15. Well, the, the thing is, these guys... Even though they were hairdressers and antique dealers and club owners, they were not content to just sit in prison being caught. One of them did actually surrender a share and pled guilty. Uh, I think that was Cordry, the guy who actually did the signal. Precisely. Um, but the rest of them, actually, when they went to prison, a couple of them plotted to escape, and one was actually very successful at it. Yeah, this was Ronnie Biggs. Yeah, he was not going to just rot no, in prison. No, Ronnie Biggs had his mind made up that he was, lo and behold, going to escape. And he sort of roused the forces and was going to get his fellow great train robber rebels to go with him, mm-hmm. and they backed out. And so they were being held at this one prison, and then they were transferred to Aylesburg, which is sort of like the Alcatraz mm-hmm. of, of Britain. And from there, he made his escape in a fugitive van, and he was on the lam. Yeah, he went and got plastic surgery. To disguise his face, and he went off to Australia first. And then Brazil. And then Brazil. Where he settled, because Brazil isn't big on extradition. No. 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 So he really got away with it for a while. And then, you know, it's really funny, because back in 2001, uh, he decided... You know what? I'm tired of being on the run. Well, Jack Slipper actually had shown up at his house in Brazil once. Mm -hmm. And there was also a kidnapping attempt by some ex-SAS guys. Uh, And apparently he he still remained in Brazil. But I guess I imagine after those decades of... uh, of you know having to look over your shoulder and worry every time somebody knocks at the door, that's got to wear you down, especially considering these guys only made about 80,000 pounds each, right? Right, right. And so he ended up turning himself in, and he's going to serve out the rest of his days in prison. And it's actually a pretty nice little place. It's prison for the elderly. Mm-hmm. So um, Plus he's got a new face, too. He's got a new face. He had a new alias, Michael, Michael Haynes. Now he can be Ronnie Biggs again and yeah. just... And he's still around, right? He's still around. Uh, In 2005, Jack Slipper died, unfortunately. So he outlived his, uh, his, 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 his nemesis. His, his nemesis. That's yeah. a great word for but him. Here, yeah. Here's the thing. I had heard, I know, I know a decent amount about the great train robbery. Here's the thing. I understand that they were actually caught because of that Monopoly game. Is that fact or fiction? Is that right? 
That is mostly fact. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the detectives were able to lift fingerprints from Uh, the Monopoly game and a couple bottles of ketchup. Sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. Exactly. Uh, They should have been playing with those leather gloves that Roger Cordry used when he rigged the wires. Exactly. (laughs) But uh, they weren't that careful. And so it got a couple of the guys. It was really strange how it all boiled down in the end because some of them played a hand in beating up Jack Mills and others were responsible for arranging the safe house and others were responsible for actually... Stopping the train, they all got approximately it averaged out to about 30 years wow. each. But some of them only got a handful of years. Others got even longer. So, yeah, yeah. thanks well, to good old Monopoly. A note to you uh, young miscreants robbing trains in India. Do not uh, play Monopoly uh, while you're, you know, divvying up your money. Or at the very least, wear gloves if you do, right? Sounds good to me. Thanks great for clearing advice. that up, lady. And if you want to read even more about the Great Dream Robbery and get all the fabulous British names that we glossed over and didn't mention, you can read how the Great Train Robbery worked on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, it's Laura Wasser, host of the All's Fair podcast on iHeartRadio. I'm a family law attorney, which is really a euphemism for a divorce attorney, and I've been practicing for over 20 years. I've learned some very interesting things along the way, and I can tell you that when dealing with matters of the heart, rules seldom apply. With advice and anecdotes from many of my friends, some of whom may be celebrities, as well as the best legal, financial, and mental health professionals in the country, our goal is to educate, enlighten, empower, and entertain you on the way to a better understanding of how relationships work. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find All's Fair with Laura Wasser on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The only way is through. A new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood. The reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just perform. Listen to The Only Way is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.